0: Hello, Rebecca Langley here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news and social justice issues. I want to acknowledge that this program was recorded on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation and that their sovereignty has never been ceded. Stick Together is produced in the studios of 3CR Radio in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network and brought to you on your local community radio station thanks to the Community Broadcasting Foundation. This week, we'll be hearing from workers who attended the Save Australian Shipping Rally outside BHP in Melbourne on Wednesday, May 8th. We'll also hear from the CFMEU about the toxic chemicals that are putting workers and the public at risk on the Westgate Tunnel project. But first, some union news. This week... Food delivery riders in Australia have achieved a world first with almost 1,700 riders to receive back pay from May 10th totaling nearly $2.3 million after Foodora was forced to admit it was underpaying their wages and refusing them superannuation. But riders will only receive a portion of their outstanding entitlements since their claims reached almost $8 million. Over 3,800 riders failed to make claims, meaning the extent of the wage theft runs to even more millions of dollars. Foodora's parent company, Delivery Hero, offered just $3 million to settle with its riders after it appointed external administrators and announced it was exiting Australia. The amount left after the administrators' cost is $2.27 million. Riders will therefore receive around twenty nine cents in the dollar for their claims and will also pay tax on wage underpayments. Fudora's admission of underpayment followed protests and exposes by riders and the Transport Workers Union or TWU over appalling conditions at Fedora. Audits by the ATO and Revenue New South Wales also revealed the underpayments. The biggest known underpayment claim by a single rider was over $120,000. This is an important day for workers in the on-demand economy worldwide. Delivery riders in Australia have shown that when they stand together and take on some of the biggest tech giants in the world, they can win. The fact that they didn't get all of their entitlements is an indictment on the federal government, which has failed at every step to hold this company and the entire on-demand economy to account over ripping off workers, said Tony Sheldon, TWU's on-demand coordinator. The federal government also must be held to account over the wage theft which continues daily with companies like Uber, Deliveroo, Manulog, and others. The government knows this is occurring – and knows that not only are workers being ripped off, but so too are taxpayers through non-payment of payroll and related taxes. Yet it still refuses to regulate this sector. The government is choosing to side with tech billionaires in the shiny towers of Silicon Valley rather than side with hard-working people and taxpayers in Australia, he added. The administrators, Worrells, should be congratulated on this outcome. They worked hard to contact as many riders as possible and gave them information and support on making their claims, Sheldon added. Josh Kluger, a former Foodora food delivery rider who won an unfair dismissal case against the company, said the payout was an important win for riders. This is a great win for riders, but it should have been more. It is now time for other on-demand economy companies To comply, riders for Foodora and other companies have spoken out about being forced to work shifts without any guaranteed wages, no wages or compensation if they are beaten or injured while working, being forced to work a hunger games system, which means they lose ratings and priority shifts during busy periods if they get injured or take leave, and no support when they suffer physical, verbal, sexual, or racial abuse. Hundreds of on demand workers in Australia have protested over low pay and appalling conditions over the past year, including this week when drivers and delivery riders protested outside Uber's offices ahead of the company's public sale. A survey of riders carried out last year has shown three out of every four riders are paid below minimum rates. Almost 50% of riders had either been injured on the job or knew someone who had, and three delivery riders have been killed in Australia while working. In international news, on International Workers' Day, May 1, authorities in Fiji arrested the head of the Fiji Trades Union Congress, or FTUC, and a number of union members to stop a protest planned to coincide with an international summit. Felix Anthony, National Secretary of the FTUC, was arrested, along with 29 members of National Union of Workers, NUW, and a union staff member. Felix is also president of the ITUC Asia-Pacific. He was arrested at a tripartite meeting in front of representatives of government, employers and ILO officials. The arrests came ahead of the annual meeting of the Asian Development Bank, which Fiji hosted from the 1st to the 5th of May. Unions had planned a series of nationwide demonstrations and events to coincide with the summit. There are a number of issues including the minimum wage, labour law reforms and the right to strike as well as a major dispute at the Water Authority of Fiji which has seen hundreds of workers laid off amidst a rise in temporary work. Felix was released without charge after 48 hours but the repression of unions is ongoing. The arrested workers were released on bail after surrendering their passports and being charged with unlawful assembly. The Fijian authorities raided the office of the FTUC. Seizing computers and files and unmarked cars have maintained a presence outside the office in an attempt to intimidate. Executive committee members of other FTUC affiliates have been instructed by the police to attend interviews. While the Fijian Union movement was forced to drop plans for the protest action, it felt the exercise had still been a success. Central to the protests – was a government move to end tripartite talks with the unions to resolve myriad worker issues, including the minimum wage and limits on striking. The Deputy Secretary of the Fiji Trades Union Council, Atar Singh, said despite the protests having to be cancelled, the international backing they have garnered made the effort worthwhile. All of this has drawn a lot of media attention to our issues, and I think this would be a matter of serious concern for the government of Fiji, and that it needs to do something. Sit down and start fixing the industrial relations infrastructure that we have in place, Mr Singh said. Meanwhile, Fiji's Coalition on Human Rights has strongly condemned this week's arrests of trade unionists and said it stands in solidarity with the workers of Fiji. The coalition chair, Nalini Singh, said workers and unionists should not be victimised or penalised for freely expressing their freedom of association and voicing employment issues. Ms Singh said it is shocking and disgraceful that instead of celebrating International Workers' Day on May 1st, it was marked with the detainment of workers and unionists. She called it a blatant attack on workers' rights, which curtails the progress Fiji has made in human rights and democracy.
1: You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories and union news. Broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. Last week,
0: I joined a group of workers outside BHP's Melbourne office on Collins Street as a part of an international action to save Australian shipping. This was one of multiple protests outside Australian embassies, consulates, corporate offices and on the waterfront calling for a reinvigoration of Australia's domestic shipping industry. James Given, Chair of the ITF Cabotage Task Force, said that the current Australian Government has failed Australian seafarers through deregulation of the industry and permitting flag of convenience vessels to operate in Australia's coastal trade, which has resulted in the loss of thousands of jobs in the sector. Maritime workers around the globe have rallied in an international show of solidarity for Australian seafarers. The Global Day of Action coordinated by the ITF Cabotage Task Force brought together maritime unions from every continent. Today's global demonstrations highlight the resolve of transportation workers to stand shoulder to shoulder with Australian seafarers in their fight to protect their jobs and save Australian shipping, said Given. Reflecting on the international protests, the ITF President and Maritime Union of Australia National Secretary Paddy Crumlin said the fact that thousands of transport workers around the world joined in this Global Day of Action highlights the importance of this fight and the global significance of saving Australia's shipping industry. So let's hear from some comrades who attended the Melbourne Rally.
2: I say union, you say power. Union! Ah! Ah! Union! Ah! I say union, you say power! Well, we are back here at BHP for good reason. This multinational, this corporate scumbag pays no tax in Australia. What do you think of that? Shame! Yeah, that's right. Shame BHP. This is a company that sacked 80 seafarers out at sea. With no friends, no family, left them on their own. What do we think of that? Shame. Yeah, well, we have got this company's ticket. We've got their number. We know what they're all about. They take our riches from Australia, they get to dig it up, this is, our, this is our rights, this is our fortunes, this is our future, and they pay no tax for it. And that's a huge problem because when they don't pay tax for it, it means we don't have money for our schools, yep. we don't have money for our hospitals, we don't have money for our infrastructure, we don't have money for our public transport. Like key things that we need to make sure that we live good lives. And we know where this money goes. This money goes to fat CEOs, and to rich people who have a bucket load of BHP shares. Is that fair? No! Well, we know it's not fair. Should our resources be shipped overseas by foreign vessels with people earning slave wages? No! I don't think so either. So we're going to keep coming back to BHP until they understand that they need a change.
3: Mark's mentioned the uh, ITF Task Force in relation to Cabotage. This task force was uh, founded two years ago with Jim Gibbons in charge from Canada, ex-ITF instructor I might add, and already we've had some success in Canada, Norway and a few other countries that have strong traditional coastal uh, 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 action on their their shores. in relation to the uh, cabotage issue, uh, this company here, BHP, has been a target for the ITF for the last 12 months, they've been found guilty on several occasions of not paying coastal wages to foreign crews and several other uh, indiscretions on board their ships. They don't like it, they try to take legal action, but we continue to pursue them in any port throughout Australia. Them and their mates, CSL, are uh, past masters of employing third world seafarers and paying them under under the, uh, in, they can't even pay the ITF agreement, which is for about a third of the Australian uh, coastal uh, wages. We've undercovered many ships, as Mark mentioned, in Portland, uh, Geelong, all over the place where crews are only getting $2 a day. Can you believe that? In this modern age, $2 a day. $2 a day. It's a sort of Gina Reinhardt stuff. You know, she reckons $2 a day is a good wage. Well, she's a good mate of this mob, and she's also a good mate of all the big, the big wigs in corporation. This government says they can't uh, support Australian shipping because it's too expensive. That's a load of crap because the economic, the economic benefits and the social benefits of employing your own nation in, a, in their own shipping industry has been proven time and time again. The cost of wages is minuscule in operating a vessel throughout the world. It's about not even 1% of the cost of running that ship. We have seen that many things in uh, over the years. I've been doing this about 24 years. But I've got to tell you, it's not getting any better. The actual, the absolute uh, degradation and things they do to cruise on board a ship is unbelievable. Only just recently we had a meeting in Hong Kong with a shipping company that plies the coast here in Australia where they owe their crews collectively nearly four million US dollars. Four million US dollars and even after all the facts and figures they still can't come to terms with accepting the fact that they're doing the wrong thing. They've not denied that they're doing it but they said oh that's acceptable in our country. This is the sort of thing that we're fighting. The ITEF will not rest in this country anyhow, and Mark's mentioned the uh, amount of people we have working for us. We have a network in Australia of MUA members, of 120 or so people who are volunteers, give up their time for for nothing, to assist in this uh, campaign to try and rid ourselves of this uh, third world type of shipping, okay? In international shipping, there are good ship owners. But by the way, for every one ship good ship owner, there's probably 20 bad ones. So we're we'll trying to get rid of the, the bad ones, try and get back coastal shipping, and I believe this campaign internationally today will be that successful or hit the airwaves that the companies like this will have to have second thoughts about who they employ. So thanks for coming, and let's keep the fight going. Rights are under attack. What do we do? Stand up, fight back. When workers' rights are under attack, what do we do? Stand up, fight back. What do we do? Stand up, fight back. What do we do? Stand up,
0: fight back. It's disgusting that they can sack that they can sack um, men working on a ship out the middle of the South China Sea before Christmas. It's uh, it's thoroughly disgusting. Um, and via email by the way. So, um, I, I was just gutted when I heard that and decided to turn up for this event.
1: I'm from the CPSU, Community Public Sector Union, and I'm absolutely appalled that people in this day and age think it's acceptable to pay a worker, regardless of their nationality, between 2 and $5 a day. It's absolutely disgusting. It's for the benefit of shareholders and white male people on boards who make these ridiculous decisions without thinking of the long-term implications. On a social justice level, economic level, it's absolutely disgusting and these idiots need to go. Yeah, so that's
0: why you're... That is why I'm
1: here. It's disgusting. We need to work together and support each other Our sisters, our brothers, our queer friends, if they're having a tough time at work, we all need to get together and support them. I had not heard of this disgusting behaviour until only recently that's going on with our seafarers, and it needs to stop.
4: I'm a member of the union for over 35 years. We um, we had a lot of battles with um, all the politicians to keep help emergently, but... um, it's look like we're making a bit of progress now yeah. we hope internationally we can get our support for others uh, other uh, unions and you know other governments yeah. uh, as these, these countries uh, they've got twenty thousand uh, nautical miles of uh, sea uh, coast, and we've got no shipping on by us yeah. uh, you know uh, this When I got into the industry, it was uh, in 81, and we had about nearly a 100 ships. And uh, we used to carry a lot of the cargo, bulk cargo, all over the world. Mm -hmm. Um, We had one of the best uh, container ships. Uh, We had uh, the the first um, um, tanker, the biggest tanker in the world, was here in Australia. But... um, the period of, 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 of uh, international companies lobbying into governments, um, especially this particular government in power now, um, uh, they, 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 they're giving up to, to uh, and forget about their workforce in this country. When other places in the world, they're going back into uh, shipping. Because it's a lot of money to be made. The other part of, especially VHP and other multinational companies, who um, they they will tell you they are not own the ships. They, like any any job in the, in this country or in any other, uh, multi, you know, like America, or, or uh, they they um, outsource the the all of these jobs, and then they get the cheapest quote they can get, and they don't care about the workers who work on their vessels. Mm. If they get paid 50 cents a day or two dollars a day, yeah. and, and that's what happens in, with these companies.
2: Let me ask you, are you going to force PHP to pay their tax? Yes! Are we going to get Australian ships back on our shores? Yes! Are we going
0: to secure seafaring jobs? Yes! yes. Yeah. Stick
1: together. Together. Yeah. Stick together stick together. Stick together. Stick together. Stick together.
5: Stick together. Stick together. You're listening to Stick Together on community radio.
0: We've been hearing from workers and union representatives from the MUA's Save Australian shipping rally last week in Melbourne. Next up, we'll hear from the CFMEU about the dangerous chemicals which are causing concern for workers and communities around the Westgate Tunnel Project in Victoria.
5: So we're here at Footscray Road, Westgate Tunnel Project. If you have live in the area, you drive past the area, for the last six months you would have been driving up and down the road and you would have seen all this material. All this material covered in black plastic. Basically what it is, it's a hazardous carcinogenic material called PFAS. In the EU, there's 180 countries, out of the it was 180 countries, 100, 171 of the countries have banned this chemical. What the chemical was used for, it was used for firefighters to put out fires years ago. In this area in particular, this was a highly hazardous area, this is where the Coote Island fires were, and basically the chemical was the foam, and the fire brigades used to use the foam to put out the fires, the PFAS was in that chemical. Come come today, the fabricate, it's been banned in Australia and the Fabricate they don't use it anymore. They've decontaminated it out of all their plant and all of all of their hoses, all of their tools. But coming on to this job, John Holland, CPB, they haven't been able to get rid of the material. It's been sitting here for six months, they've been moving it from spot to spot. We've been in talking with them for the last six months, obviously educating ourselves on it, researching ourselves on it. And basically the conclusion we've come to and the information that we've got, there is no safe level of PFAS, right? So what we've been saying to CPB John Hollands is, listen, we don't know what it is. You just don't know how safe it is, how safe it isn't. We've been asking them to put the highest level of safety in PPE, obviously with a mask, glasses, suits. And they basically went, no, we're not doing any of that. And the reason they don't want to do it is because they don't want to be seen as wearing white suits across the Grey Road here and people thinking it it's suspicious. So they're more worried about public perception than public safety, than worker safety. They've admitted here and there's, there's superintendents here as well that back us and say, listen, we should be dealing with this here with the highest level of safety possible. On top of that, like this whole area, like we've been in here from the start, there's the spaces everywhere, right? There's been no signage for the PFAS, there's been no control for the PFAS, there's been no procedure for the PFAS and the same goes for the asbestos. We were in here just recently and we talked to the workers and asked the workers did they know what it was, did they know what they were dealing with and they, they said no. And on that moment when he said that, one of the superintendents here, he turned around and said right I'll make sure you're never on this project again. That's a fact, that's a quote. right?" So. Ongoing talks have taken place, hygienists have been brought in and whatever else and nobody knows what this is. Obviously with asbestos people have started to die from it and that's when all the levels of uh, safety started coming in. It hasn't reached that stage yet with the PFAS so we're trying to be proactive not reactive. We're coming in here we're asking them to do the simplest of things and they just refuse to do it. So what's it going to take? Are we going to wait until someone dies then we'll start putting the controls in place or are we going to be proactive now? They've had this sitting here for six months. They haven't been able to move it. The government, they're sitting on it. The, I, the EPA, they're sitting on it because they're not too sure either. They don't even know where they can dump it. But on top of that, with the asbestos as well, they're going to have to start taking notice because we've got we've got information that the, the whole place, PFAS is the least of our worries. The asbestos is mixed in there too. And there's been no consultation with the reps, no consultation with the workforce, and no consultation with us. Everything is all smoke and mirrors. They're all trying to, to hide it all, put it under the carpet. And now we're here today, we're obviously going to record this, and we're going to go in, we're going to have another chat with them. So they need to deal with this PFAS, they need to deal with the spaces and stop putting workers' lives and public's lives at, at risk.
0: Looking back, it's vital for our movement to always remember where we have come from who has come before us and what they have achieved for working people. Here are some moments to remember. On May 9th in Fremantle in 1919, having forced scabs from the docks, thousands attended the funeral of Tom Edwards, a wharfie killed five days earlier by police. On May 10th in Sydney, 1989, Defying union leaders, shipbuilding workers began a 14-week occupation of the Cockatoo Island dockyards in an attempt to prevent their closure. On May 13th in Sydney in 1932, hundreds of picketers forced police and bailiffs to abandon an eviction in Surrey Hills. And on the 14th of May in Australia in 1973, the ACTU placed bans on transport and communications with France until it called off or completed nuclear testing in the Pacific. On May 15th in New South Wales in 2014, faced with a blockade involving thousands of people, the New South Wales government suspended gas company Met Gasco's licence to frack Bentley. The real
6: celebration of the Clary O'Shea dispute was in 1998 when we rallied to prove that the MUA was here to stay. And it was there again, I think, in the mass actions that led up to the defeat of the Work Choices Campaign. Unfortunately, that wasn't carried through. And the danger at the moment, I think again is, and everyone's well aware of this, but they're not saying it in public, is that we're going to be sold down the river again. But they were the two big campaigns. I mean, the real way to celebrate an event like the the battle over Clary O'Shea is, indeed, you've got to remind people and have these annual, you know, these 50-year events and things. But the real way to commemorate it is in your daily struggles and building towards big struggles when they're needed, like the MUA dispute and the Work Choices campaign, and, one has to say, to get active.
0: Let's continue to remember and continue to fight. That's it for Stick Together this week. Thanks to you for listening and thanks to everyone who spoke with me at the Save Australian Shipping Rally. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Studios in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. The podcast is available at 3cr.org.au and you can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or by calling zero three nine four one nine eight three double seven and leaving us a message. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there's a union for you. My name's Rebecca Langley. Catch you next time.